This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Dana took all the wind out of my sails today. He came out and he said, this is Dana speaking, if Khabib is going to go fight George St. Pierre, Khabib must relinquish the belt. Now, I'm sitting back and going, for one, I thought he already did. I understand there's this meeting in this other talk, but Dana didn't finish the thought as to why. I believe what Dana was telling us was because they would not do it at 155 pounds. I think he was referencing the weight, which is something that St. Pierre publicly did discuss one time and one time only himself. But when St. Pierre was making this great push for Khabib and he was training and he was bringing his weight down, at some point he did a test cut and then revealed to the world 155 is too low. George never said it again and you have to follow St. Pierre interviews closely to even know that it happened. I bring that to you because when George never said it again, I thought he was taking it back. I thought George regretted saying it. Was perhaps speaking offhand, put something out there that he didn't want out there because he never went back to it. Now, that's a guess by me at best, but that was the guess that I had. I bring that to you because when Dana comes out and says Khabib would have to walk away from the belt and no follow-up on why, I'm left to assume it means that they're going to contest that match at a non-championship weight and Dana's saying you're not going to come and compete and not compete for the belt, which I like. A champion should not be out fighting at 163 pounds and keeping his championship and keeping things held up. No problem with that. I don't think you guys have a problem with that either. But the reason I say Dana took the wind out of my sails is St. Pierre has been crystal clear. Must be Khabib, must be for the belt. So whatever hope I had that that match could happen, I mean, I do have hope for that, guys. I know you guys are with me, but the only reason we're not all talking about St. Pierre and Khabib the same as we were 12 months ago is because those guys quit talking about it. And now all of a sudden, Dana has this closed-door meeting with Khabib, right? And all all of a sudden, we're hearing George St. Pierre's name come back up. Now, you can hear that two different ways. You can hear that for the way that it's presented, which is there doesn't have a whole lot of legs to it, or you can hear it from a conspiracy theorist uh, point of view, which I choose to have, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It just serves my wishes. My wishes are that those boys get together. So I'm choosing to hear that this is some kind of a public negotiation to both St. Pierre and to Khabib. Hey, George, you're not getting a title crack. Hey, uh, Khabib, you're not getting George at 55. You guys want to do this? Come back to me again. You guys have been acting like you want to do this. I'm telling you where I stand. Quit calling me. Unless you, George, understand this is for the love of the fight and you, Khabib, understand this is for the love of the fight. That's what I'm hearing. I don't know. I've disclosed to you all my evidence. I have no more information than that. When I'm ready to tell you what happened in the meeting between Dana, Khabib, and I, I will. So Ryan Garcia has come out. He's 22 years old and says he's going to retire at 26 years old. And he will only come out of retirement to fight guys who people think, oh my gosh, Ryan Garcia can't beat. He may also then transition to MMA. Now, when I sat down today, my producer handed me this question. He said, Chill, I really think you need to speak on this. And he added some notes there. He says, you know, what, what do you think? How Could Ryan make the transition to MMA? And if so, how long would it take? And it's like, Ryan, I will happily answer this 
this question because this is low-hanging fruit. But it seems as though I'm answering the same question every 24 months, but inserting a different athlete. As a matter of fact, I don't need to worry what my talking points are going to be on Ryan Garcia. I just need to go look up and what I said about Kalisha Shields. And when I did a piece on Clarissa Shields, I didn't have to have some kind of autonomous thought. I just had to go back and see what I said about James Tony. And when I did it on James Tony, I didn't have to have some kind of unique perspective. I just had to go back and listen to what I had said about Floyd Mayweather. I mean, it's one of these things where these guys will never quit getting us. And I don't blame them. There's some things and some ideas and some themes that just work. But the boxers continue to go with the MMA fighters. I don't know why the MMA fighters don't go and go uh, go with the boxer. Does boxing not have publications? Do they not have shows where people talk about them? Do they not have websites that drive the industry? I'm asking you questions. I'm not answering them. Is that why? Is there no benefit for the MMA fighter to dangle that he's going to go to boxing? Because Ryan Garcia just got a plug on the biggest MMA show on all of YouTube right now from me. And some other boxer will get it down the road. But it's one of these things where if you're to lay out all the reasons why it wouldn't happen, right? Don't get annoyed by doing that. Don't be annoyed with your producer, Ryan, like I am today. He's asking a fair question and we're going to have to continue to have the conversation. And it's one of these where it's like, guys, a guy can go and box secretively. We have seen guys do that in MMA. We have seen Olympic wrestlers bring Ben Askren by example. Ben had in his head when he's getting ready for the Olympics that I'm going to go into MMA and he was secretly getting boxing and kickboxing work in his garage. No one would know. The amount of ground you can gain by having a good pad guy and a heavy bag, it's not like any other sport, but I bring that secretive, I bring that word to you because you can't secretively go work on wrestling. It's not the same thing. There's not a guy around town who guaranteed every town's got one knows something about wrestling. And it's not something where you can go in a garage with one guy and a stopwatch and make gain. You have to be in a team. You have to you have to work on the basics. You got to change stance and work on elevation. You got to get your thighs in shape just to bend over and hold that wrestling position. You've got to understand an underhook, a two-on-one, an overhook, a front headlock, a back step, a back arch, the, the seven fundamentals of wrestling. Let's see if I know them. Penetration, stance, motion, back arch, back step. I'm missing two, but that was pretty good for the top of my head, and I haven't had to read those on Coach Pittman's walls in 19 years. That was pretty good that I came up with five of the seven, but the point that I'm trying to make is if a guy does that with a grappling heavy background, he can often pull the wool over people's eyes because he's secretly getting work in and he's secretly gotten a lot better. You just can't do that in wrestling. So I would not question an athlete or a work ethic like Ryan Garcia. I wouldn't do that. And we have seen this work. The first to have done it was Maurice Smith. Arguably the next to have done it was all the way Reese Adesanya. And you could throw your Anderson Silva's in there. I'm just not going to include Anderson because Anderson all the while that he was getting great at Muay Thai did not have this big extensive kickboxing record. He knew the whole time, I'm going to go wherever I can get paid. And he was working with the Noguera brothers. He was working on that black belt the same as he was working with his knockouts with his elbows. That's why I'm not including Anderson. That's why I have that gap from Maurice Smith, who had done it 30 times professionally, stand up only, all the way to Adesanya, who had done it 32 times professionally, stand up only. But I do bring those guys to you because when it works, it works really well. If a guy makes a commitment and has a work ethic and some natural talent, in all fairness, he can make that uh, transition. We just seldomly see it because the strikers in many ways have already got it figured out. They were already fighting in front of a building full of people. They were already 
fighting and getting television experience. They were already participating in some very nice bonus structures and pay-per-views and purses and some of these bonuses. It's one of the reasons, at least the day-old argument, that MMA guys wanted to go to boxing. They thought it was more lucrative. Dana has told you from the beginning, it's not. It's not only to the main event of which boxing does two shows a year and usually uses the winner. of the, So one guy, Floyd, gets it twice and some other opponent gets it once. I mean, I only bring that to you because the numbers in boxing are not as drastically different as they are in MMA. Just the structural breakdown of who gets it, how often, and when. That's the part that's significantly different. I bring that to you because I feel as though we're starting to see that change. We're starting to see the uh, the Money Mayweather's talking, of course, never serious, but talking about the MMA. We're starting to see the De La Hoya's even getting involved in promoting the MMA. Now we're hearing the Ryan Garcia's, and Ryan Garcia's comes as advertised. I like this guy. I didn't know a ton about him. I got to know him when he was 21. He's only 22 now. He popped onto my radar because he and Cejudo were talking about, I, I was talking to Ali on the phone one day, and Ali just mentions, oh, I, I got to make this phone call with some guys in the Middle East. They're thinking about having Henry go fight Ryan Garcia in a boxing match, like on a rooftop in Abu Dhabi. Ali just dropped something on me. I go, hey, what are you talking about? Who's this guy? So like, you don't know who Ryan Garcia is? I said, no, I follow, I'm a boxing fan. No, I don't know who he is. I said, Chael, you got to look this guy up. He said, this guy's incredible. He said, and I think Triple C could beat him. So I went and looked him up. And I still wasn't sold on him until his last fight. Now I'm sold. The guy, he's amazing. And then after his last fight, I'm putting over Ryan Garcia here, but after his last fight, he calls out Tank. And Tank's that kid out of the Mayweather gym that just made highlight reels. He was up against the ropes. He sucked that, that uppercut. It looked like Mike Tyson throwing an uppercut from a lot lighter guy. It was unbelievable. Garcia calls out Tank. Tank accepted the fight. I mean, I like any young kid that's calling for hard fights. You just, you just have my respect. It's just one of those things you don't see a lot of in boxing because you don't have to. Speaking of boxing, very random thought. You guys ever watch a training video and you get inspired? It's like watching a Rocky movie and they got cool music. But he's doing something. I mean, it, it makes you want to put your tennis shoes on and go for a run. You get that, you get that actual, you get inspired. The most uninspiring training videos ever put out in boxing history are done by Anthony Joshua. And I don't know if he is legitimately not a hard worker or if he's legitimately disciplined to never work hard when the camera's on. I'm sure based around his success that it was some kind of a strategy to not work hard in front of a camera, but he then releases the videos for the public to see. Man, that guy is either lazy or he is wildly competent at making very uninspirational workout videos. Guys, let's talk a little bit of 155. I feel like it's very appropriate. I mean, right, January is almost 155 month. I don't know if these guys have ever been on display to such a degree. So it starts with the meeting with Khabib and Dana, which by the way, I'm looking forward to being entertained here, okay? I mean, it really seems as though a game of you can't fire me, I quit. I mean, I feel as though when this story is all said and done, one side's gonna, gonna come out telling that story. I mean, the whole thing's a little bit weird, right? Khabib says, I'm done. And the other side says, no, you're not. Then the other side comes and says, you know what? Let's have a meeting about your future. And Khabib's going, I've already told you my future. I'm done. I'm just saying, it feels as though when this whole thing's said and done, it's going to be one of those, uh, you can't fire me, I quit. Hold that thought. Let's just see if I get it right. But as you're thinking about 155, it's now been injected with Nate Diaz, allegedly. And if you look at 55 and you look at Diaz and you look at the fact that supposedly whoever he fights first at 155, should he win, qualifies him for a, a world title fight, you know that it's a hammer. Okay, great. But now you know that Nate's coming in. And the one guy that for whatever 
whatever reason can't get any rub is RDA. And before you push back to Chael, RDA's had world title fights and he's had interim title fights and he's always a main event. I get it. I still make that claim. RDA, if you go back and look at his schedule spread over two weight classes of nothing but current world champions, future world champions, and former world champions, if you go and look what that crazy bastard has done for a decade, I feel as that guy belongs in the same Mount Rushmore talk as the same greats of all time talk on the same pound for pound current, current pound for pound since he's one of the few guys who has actually traded weight classes. So RDA is now going after Nate. And one thing about the first time they fought is RDA was had broke out these leg kicks. And I say he broke them out because if you go back and I'm sure Nate and his team did and you studied RDA fights, you did not see these leg kicks. He broke them out for this fight. And Nate Diaz is very known for refusing to block leg kicks. Now hear this out again, okay? And I'm telling you this as a guy who has trained with Nate Diaz. It is not that he doesn't know how to stop a leg kick. He refuses to stop a leg. I will tell you in the practice room, nobody's kicking him in the leg. He knows how to bring his knee up. He knows how to send a cross right down the middle, make you not, not do. He doesn't like to block leg kicks on television. I don't know why, but it is a personal choice. He does not believe that they are effective. He is not going to show them respect. And you ask him why. I'm not here to defend it. I'm here to tell you in the practice room, Nate Diaz does not get kicked in the leg. Now, the reason I'm making a big deal about the leg kicks is RDA really changed that fight. He really did, but he also put himself on the map. He was not able to come out in any other fights and surprise somebody. He's been able to land a lot of leg kicks. I'm talking about to surprise somebody with leg kicks. That is where he showed the world, this is a weapon I have and I'm going to use. Because when RDA called out Nate, he said, I won't land any leg kick. Now, I realize that that's meant as haha. I get that. But that would dr drastically change that fight. I mean, let's just say in make-believe land that RDA, for reasons unknown, did not throw any leg kicks. That totally changes that first fight. And I bring that to you because Nate has the ability to have made that a very different fight. All of us got caught off guard by the RDA that showed up that night. All of us. And Cowboy Cerrone down the road got caught off by, by that same RDA. I mean, that was the night that RDA came. All of a sudden, he's Mr. Cardio. All of a sudden, this great grappler is Mr. Punch you in the mouth, kick you in the body, wrestle. I mean, he looked so good that night, but in many ways, it was his coming out party. And a lot of the greats, you can point to a night where they had this coming out moment, where they got their confidence and everything just came together. Brian Stan told me a story of the coming out moment for John Jones, and it was in practice. He said John would come in and he'd be one of the guys and, you know, people would have their way with them or, you know, they'd have good competitive rounds. And one day he said, what, like we were in there on Monday and this was on Wednesday. John Jones is tapping everybody in the room. Not only could you not tap him, he went around the room and tapped everybody. And Brian was telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, when we're in the locker room later, we're showering up and we're all changing. Everybody's saying, hey, did you go with John today? Hey, did you work out with Bones today? And the whole Jackson Wink gym is like, yeah, what the hell was into him? And they all chalked it up to, he must've just had a good day. And then he came back on Thursday, did it again, did it on Friday, went on to become world champion. I only bring you that story because there are guys that have this day and every now and then in RDA's case, it happens on live TV. Guys, I have told you many times, many, many times we've discussed this, but a great promoter is simply a storyteller. A big fight 
has a big story. And as simple as that may sound, you would be stunned how many people have the foggiest idea that any of that is true. To have a great fight is two great resumes. It's the Olympic champion from 2016 versus the Olympic champion from 2020. They always make this mistake. If you have a great story, you have a big fight. I bring that to you because I'm watching Dana White tell a story that the average human would be done in less than five seconds. I'm talking of the story of Khabib's retirement. There's not a whole lot of ways you can go on that. Hey, Khabib, are you retired? Oh, hey, Khabib, are you not retired? Where do you go with that? Yet Dana has found a way to tell this story for nine weeks. Oh, by the way, we're not done. The story is continuing. Now, in a traditional sense, a promoter would leap at a champion retiring. He would leap at that because if the champion changes his mind, you now have a comeback story. The oldest and easiest story to tell in all the pugilism is a comeback story. So you would quickly accept that resignation. And if the guy changed his mind, you've got, you can't have the comeback until you have the retirement. Dana says no. Nine weeks later, we're still discussing this and we are still not to its conclusion, complete with last night a tease coming. A tease by Dana where he literally videos himself and Khabib walking into an empty room. He then reveals to the audience, I will tell you what happened in that meeting live on ABC. He comes on ABC, he delivers the message of what happened in that room, which by the way was fairly anticlimactic, and he made it great. He made it so interesting. He continued the tease. He goes, well, Khabib's already achieved, I, I'm giving you the story here, Dana goes, look, Khabib's already achieved everything he set out to achieve, and there, even in terms of parody and freshness, Khabib concedes that Oliveira looked great, and there's four 55-pounders up in a week, constituting two matches, co-main event and main event, and if one of them looks spectacular, we might be continuing this conversation, and absent of that, we're right back where we started, which is that Khabib is retired. But Dana managed to say it in a way that was captivated. By the way, I don't just come over here and talk to you guys. Like, I really like you guys, and I really like to talk to you, but it doesn't just happen. If I didn't have something to say, I wouldn't come over here. Th this camera you're looking at has a name. His name is Vince. This audio that you're hearing me on has a name. His name is Dylan. The production and the completeness and being uploaded to YouTube has a name. His name is Ryan. I only bring that to you because these things don't just happen, yet I'm still here. I'm here with a full team behind me to tell you about a story of which hasn't changed in nine weeks, but Dana White has somehow made interesting. Somehow, this is still interesting. So we get dangled that Oliveira looked great. Now, Oliveira is a very interesting name because that does allow for some parody. The night that Khabib retired, he said, I've already strangled Connor. I've already strangled Poirier. There's nothing left for me to do. Now, Khabib didn't use a whole lot of words, but those were a few of the words that he used. So we then have to draw an interpretation from that, which is he's looking for parody. He's looking for something new, which is where you start sprinkling George St. Pierre into the conversation. It's new, which is also interesting that Dana White, who went on ABC, dropped the name Charles Oliveira. What's problematic, if you're putting it in conjunction with Khabib having the title and whether or not Dana accepts it back, is that Oliveira isn't booked. So even if Khabib is saying, look, I'm seeing some new blood in here. Khabib is also saying, get him shined up. Just because he looked good once, get him shined up. And I just don't know if there's time in conjunction with the title. We could, of course, take that title from Khabib, throw it up for grabs. Two new boys will go out there, fight under the unified rules, see who claims it. And then you bring Khabib back, but that doesn't then insert Oliveira. Like if Khabib comes back in that scenario, Khabib come back against whoever's the champion, not against Oliveira. So I only bring this to you because a story of which is very simple and has been told a million times, you're retired 
retired or you're not. You're retired and you're coming back or you're not. Dana White has found a way to keep us on edge for nine weeks. I'm still on edge. The story that seems so simple apparently is going to continue. Stay tuned. Guys, I just talked with Errol Hawani just moments ago. It's on ESPN YouTube page. Check it out if you'd like. But Errol made the following comment as it had to do with Max and Cater. And Errol said that's the fight of the year, of which I instantly pushed back. And I said, partner, you are overselling this. It was a very good fight. It was the performance by Max Holloway. This was not a tit-for-tat back-and-forth battle. This was a beating. Now, none of that is an insult to Cater, just the opposite complete compliment. Cater is now on everybody's radar. Oh, by the way, I should complete the story with Errol. He then came back and goes, hey, Chael, it was the first fight card of the year. Of course, it's fight of the year. Okay, fine. He won. He won in the technicality, the technical side of it. I'm speaking more over to the story that's coming out of this about what a great fight that was, and that replaces Bonner versus Griffin. Not true. One thing that Bonner and Griffin had is we didn't know who won the fight. That went down to the judges and everybody that's in a living room. They're sitting there arguing with their friends on who's going to get their hand raised. This was very one-sided to the point that the announcers were calling for the referee to stop the contest. Again, these are compliments to Cater. Believe it or not, what an athlete is always going to do is he is going to be outcome-based. Now, the great athletes are performance-driven, not outcome. But all athletes will default to looking at how they did and then deciding everything is fine or I need to change teams, I need to change camps, and I need to be depressed for, uh, for five weeks before I do any of that because of the outcome. That's very relevant because if you're cater, when you go sit down with your team and you review this tape, there was simply nothing that he did wrong. There is nothing that he needs to work on and or fix. As a matter of fact, he showed his cardio yet again. As a matter of fact, he showed his grit yet again. As a matter of fact, there was one takedown attempt by Max and Cater stopped it in its tracks. Didn't go anywhere. Cater fought as well as Cater can fight. He was fighting a better fighter. And I bring that to you because why that is going to be hard to swallow. There is major compliments here to Cater, his team, and his preparation. He fought a better fighter. I have never seen an athlete, and I'm not telling you guys a fighter. I am telling you an athlete who has ever weaponized pace quite like George St. Pierre. When you're fighting St. Pierre, you're now fighting George and his tag team partner, Pace. It's two on one. Max Holloway is as close as I've seen to the greatest of all time in terms of his pace. That output is ridiculous. It's very hard to express, not to mention Max Holloway has changed his training. This is the second fight where Max has not sparred. That for the first fight was not a built-in mechanism. It was a byproduct of being in quarantine and him not being able to get to a public gym with public training partners. So he had to isolate himself in his garage with a heavy bag and a coach. But because he performed so well in Volkanovski fight, even though it wasn't the outcome, it was the performance, he decided, I'm not. I, I'm going to do it again. I'm not going to spar. And there was sparring involved. And I can't remember what Max said, whether he sparred three times before the fight or whether he sparred once every three weeks. I can't remember what it was. The point is he's changed his training and he's getting a great result. And so many times in sports, we go harder and harder and harder, and that's the answer. If I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to do it harder. If I'm running three miles a day and I still feel out of shape, I'm going to go five miles a day. I'm going to go harder. I get that logically. I do that. I did all of that, but I have witnessed other guys who are getting a greater result by doing less. I had a teammate in college, Eric Webb, and he had he was the best wrestler on the team, at least results-wise. He beat the national champion, beat the number two, beat the number three, but the number five, and beat the number seven. Beat 
beat them all and beat them handily. The guy that won the nationals, in fact, didn't score on my teammate, Eric Webb. Webb had a built-in byproduct, which is he was getting concussion. He was getting headbutts and he was getting concussions, so he couldn't train. He, we'd go to practice and he would watch you practice. Then when it was time to go wrestle, not only was he beating these guys, he was getting them tired and making them quit. And the rest of the guys on the team looking around going, this doesn't make sense. He's not training. How is he? I could get where he could just beat a guy. Uh, uh, that happens all the time in sport. I'm talking about he's in better shape and breaking guy. He's not training. How's this happening? I don't have, this is 20 years ago. I don't have the answer for you right now. I don't know how Eric did it. I don't know, but I have seen it a couple of times. And in some ways we're seeing it from Max, who was openly not able to go into his gym, who was openly not sparring because he doesn't have an apparatus to spar it. His garage doesn't have a ring. His garage doesn't have a cage, let alone the partners. He doesn't even have the apparatus, but he's getting these results and he's having these performances like he's never had before. I would put what Max Holloway did tonight as Max's best performance. And I'm saying that about a guy who's beaten Jose Aldo. I'm saying that about a guy who's beaten Brian Ortega. I'm saying that about a guy who's won world championships. I've never seen him perform like that. that output is so nasty. And there's a level of conditioning contrary to popular belief that you cannot exceed. You as a human being have a ceiling regardless of what get well and attaboy books you've ordered on Amazon. There is a ceiling where you simply can't get any better shape. And that's just where Max is. I think that Cater was there as well. I think Ortega was there and Aldo was there. It's just Max's VO2 max is higher than another human being's. He has mutant lung. I truly believe if you were to go in and do an x-ray of Max's lungs, it's larger than the average human being's. They would say that about Lance Armstrong, that he actually had an organ, his lung, that was larger than the average man's. But it's there's something about Max. There's nothing you can do. He is going to come at you top to bottom. He's a great fighter, but he also has a pace. He also has a rhythm. I spoke to Dustin Poirier about 10 minutes after Dustin got out of the ring with Max. Covering with ESPN, Dustin came up to be interviewed. Dustin made a comment. I've been in the fight game for a long time. Before I was an active fight, I was a fan. I used to watch the fights with my dad back in the Sugar Ray Leonard days. Dustin said that Max is a rhythm fighter. I knew that early, so all I had to do was disrupt his rhythm. I had the foggiest idea what Dustin had just said to me. I never heard that in my whole life. I played along because I was on TV and I nodded. Yeah, I went back. Yeah, I called Clayton Hires. I said, well, hey man, listen to what Poirier just said to me and tell me what he's saying to me. So Clayton then explained it to me and he's saying Max gets in a rhythm. It's like a song. Bop, 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 bop. He gets in a rhythm and if you can throw that rhythm off, you can stop him on step one. He can't get to step two. The way his brain works, it's all rinse and repeat. If you can stop step one, he can't get to step two. He's going to reset his body back to step one. Now, Poirier made it sound like it was easy. And in all fairness, Poirier made it look easy, but there's other very good fighters that had higher IQs than me. And in all fairness, I'm, I know what I'm talking about in the fight game, but I didn't know that. And Poirier, who said, this is what I did and this is how I did it. And you can go watch the video. He did it for 25 straight minutes. I've never seen anybody come out and duplicate it. And even as I say that to you now, they're just words. How do you throw a guy's rhythm off when the guy is putting an output of 300 strikes per fight? The average fight to put a perspective for you is 174 strikes. It is just shy of double the output. I bring that to you because I do believe this was Max's best performance. I think that that fight could have been stopped. I, I don't choose to die on that hill and that isn't any part of my argument. I have a different opinion of when a fight should be stopped than what the unified rules claim. Unified rules claim that essentially when a fighter can no longer protect himself, can no longer intelligently defend himself, to use the exact verbiage, that is when a fight is eligible for stoppage. I, Chael Sonnen, personally believe you should get the athlete out of there as soon as you recognize he can no longer win the fight. When hope is gone, get him to the back and save the damage. My own opinion, I think we 
could have done that a little earlier with Cater. But as you're hearing me dote on Max Holloway and you're hearing about what a wonderful thing this was for our entire industry, make sure you do not mishear me. Cater represented himself tonight. He represented his gym, he represented his family, he represented his honor, and he did it all with dignity. He was simply out there with a better fighter. All right, guys, it's coming, man. It's coming. As much fun as today was, today is behind us. It is Connor Mania. Connor Mania is real, and we're going to ride the wave for the next week. So many people, as they look at this fight against Connor versus Dustin, are coming to the conclusion that Dustin can win, and here is why. Dustin is a better fighter now than the night that they fought. I do not disagree with you. I would push back and say, are you telling me that Connor isn't? And, and that's where the great divide seems to come in. Connor McGregor was not a champion of the world at that time. Conor McGregor was not selling out arenas. Conor McGregor was not an interim champion of the world. Conor McGregor had not changed weight classes and even changed sports to go on to take the greatest of boxing it ever had. Conor is clearly better now than he was then. And history will tell you, okay, when you're talking about fighting, absent of a big age gap, if two fighters fight and they rematch, the fighter that won the first time will win again, only quicker. And Conor is coming out and claiming he can get Dustin out of there in 60 seconds. Now, we're talking about Mystic Mac. Mystic Mac exited stage left prior to the Cowboy Cerrone fight. That was PR Mac. That was McGregor trying to get back on the good PR train. You guys may recall that. He was doing charitable work, and he was being nice to Cowboy, and he was laying everything down at the press conference, and he was talking about blood is going to be spilled, but it won't be bad blood. It will be the blood of competition. I only share with you, we haven't seen Mystic Mac where he's back making big predictions, but he got the nickname Mystic Mac by making predictions and they 100% came true. I am very light on the idea that Connor gets Dustin out of there in 60 seconds. I'm very light on the idea that Dustin is not going to have a special surprise. Dustin at the time that he fought Connor the first time mentally is not who he is now. Physically, I don't know that he's a lot different. I, I've heard many of you say that. I, I don't know what evidence you could show me. Mentally, 24-year-old Dustin Port was very different. He wasn't ready for that kind of light. He questioned himself and we see many of the greats do that. I'm very happy happy that Dustin is going to get this redemption story. And I'm more than willing to be open and observe this and come and tell you guys what happened. But I would, I, I do have a fiduciary responsibility to you guys because a lot of you listen to me and then you go part with your money. And I just want to remind you why the narrative that Dustin is better now than he was then, you've got to meet that with a counter narrative that so is Conor McGregor, not to mention Conor is much bigger. Now, why they both fought at 145 the first time, Conor has done a foray, not once, not twice, but three times at 170. So if you thought he was powerful then, I think we have to concede that he's going to have even more power now. The question is, can Dustin get out of the way? And I've heard many people try to break down why that left hand of Connor works. I have not heard anybody break it down accurately. That left hand of Connor's that you think is hidden behind a jab, at times it is. The best left hand Connor throws is when you throw a cross at him. Because he is a southpaw, he will slip and that's when he comes back. He did it to Floyd Mayweather repeatedly. He has an excellent timing to read that and come back. It's not the jab you have to worry about. It's when you decide to execute on him. You can execute that same shot. Don't be a headhunter in the first round. Take that exact same shot, change elevation four inches, and sink it to the body. It's a different shot. It will garner a different reaction. When you come at Connor, his defensive left is the problem, not the offensive left. Keep that in mind.
The return we have all been waiting for is finally here. One of sports' most notorious icons is stepping into the octagon this Saturday. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the UFC, is giving you a free shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with the first deposit. If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, there's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about football's playoffs where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Guys, download the DraftKings app right now and use the promo code CHAIL to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the weekend. That's promo code CHAIL to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Worried about online security? The best way to protect yourself online is by using the privacy app IPVanish. IPVanish is a virtual private network, VPN for short, used on computers, tablets, and phones that secures your connection to the internet and protects your personal information. IPVanish helps protect you whenever you use public Wi-Fi, which is not always secure. When you use IPVanish, your personal data, like your emails, files, even your credit card and banking information, it's all encrypted, helping keep you safe from online thieves. How many times have you Googled something only to have the ad follow you across websites and on your social media channels? Well, that IP address is being tracked. Advertisers and hackers use it to keep tabs on you. With IP Vanish, your real IP address is hidden, helping keep your identity safe. And IP Vanish has a zero log policy, so they're not recording your internet activity. What you do online stays private online. When it comes to internet connections at home and on the go, I know I depend on IP Vanish. IP Vanish is rated 4.7 out of 5 by real customers on Trustpilot. If you care about your internet privacy and you want to get reliable online data protection, then head over to ipvanish.com slash jail. Plans start at $3.49 a month, which is a great price to secure all of your devices. All you got to do is go to ipvanish.com slash jail to start protecting yourself. Conor McGregor did this great piece. He was doing it with uh, Helwani. And it was like on Skype. You know, so Errol's in the studio and Conor pops up on the screen. You know, Conor looks like a million bucks. He's in a suit. And he was putting a Band-Aid on the destruction that was his fight with Khabib. So this was a troll job to the highest of levels. And it was done so well. I was so impressed watching him. And what he said was that Khabib was never crowned champion that night. Khabib ran out of the ring and 
sent his hooligans in, and the ceremony never took place. Bruce Buffer never announced him champion, and Dana never gave him the belt, and therefore he is not champion. Connor is still the champion. And it was just a thing of brilliance. Like, to watch him work in this way and with such a straight face, I loved it. And Connor went further to weigh in on Khabib. And he was saying that Khabib has showed himself as not a true fighter. A true fighter would not run away when there's so many great fights to be had. And he was talking about some of those fights. Connor went in to fill in the blank. I think he threw himself in there. He might have thrown Poirier. I don't know who you guys get the point, but they were all fights that Khabib had already had. Therefore, the statement has no merit. And not to mention, Connor, who is questioning Khabib, who retired, Connor just came out of a retirement. In fact, I believe his second, which is why this was extra entertaining and wonderful for me. Because again, he presented this with such a straight face. Even Errol Hawani, the great questioner, didn't really have follow up questions. Like he was just watching this ridiculousness unfold and was almost caught off guard and just let it go. Like Errol never called him up. Well, Connor, you you just retired. In fact, you've done it twice. You've retired through social media eight times. You like there was nothing there. Or you're saying that Khabib ran away because he doesn't want to fight you. He already fought you, and he already fought Dustin. He already fought every other name that you're throwing out there. I mean, just by example. But I'm also appreciative that Errol didn't do it because he would have thrown Connor off. There's no point in bringing the truth into Connor's story. Let him entertain. Not to mention, it was wildly effective. Many people don't know that Connor fought Khabib. This is the mistake fighters always make. It was very refreshing to see Connor not make it. Fighters get so tied to their own career, and they think everybody else knows. I've seen every one of Connor's fights. Do not ask me to name for you who he fought. By example, I've seen all of Floyd's fights, and he's had 50. Don't ask me to tell you who Floyd fought. What do you think? I don't have anything better to do than sit around and remember what somebody else did. I only bring that to you because Connor, who is aware of what other fighters aren't, which is aware of the fact and the idea that there are so many new fans now that weren't even here, had never even seen a fight at the time Connor fought Khabib X amount of time ago. That Connor now has an ability to come in and influence and educate them on the narrative that he would like. That's why this was so brilliant. That's why this was such a smart thing to do. Not to mention, would not be fair for Connor, Poirier, Chandler, the Hangman, Ally Aquina, Paul Felder, Charlie Olives to have to live in the shadow of Khabib. You guys will remember, and we saw this one time, and it was very unfair, but it was when Daniel Cormier became the light heavyweight champion. And people, well, yes, you're the champion in the absence of John Jones. They did that to him. Wildly unfair. I don't know if I've ever seen it in all of sport before. In all of sport, I don't know that I've ever seen a time where somebody did not enter the tournament, and then whoever came out with the gold medal was questioned because of whoever didn't show up. I mean, that's that's one of the primary fiduciary responsibilities of competition. It's volunteer. If you don't raise your hand and put yourself in it, you don't get to be part of the conversation. That's been true throughout history, except for Daniel Cormier. And I bring that to you because it is very wise of Connor to get ahead of that, to not make any question, to, to not make the mistake that Jan Blahovich made five minutes after he won the championship, which is to call out the guy who he can't get a fight with, John Jones. He's not putting himself over, he's putting John over. Connor is dismissive of Khabib, not a real fighter, not a true fighter, stated his reasons why, ran away, was never even crowned champion, never had the official ceremony. And while some of you are going to think that's ridiculous, sure, go ahead and think it. But there are new fans out there who don't even know that that fight happened, don't even know what Connor's referring to that Khabib jumped out and ran away from the ring. Doesn't They have no idea. They never saw it. And they're not going to go and look it up on Fight Pass. It was a really great piece by Connor. It was a troll job, sure. Was it well done? Yes, it was perfect.
So the big question, right? Anytime there's a show, Max fought. Max fought skater. Big question, what does Max do next? And I'm part of that, by the way. I'm part of that question. Even though I hate the question, I only hate the question because we never get an answer. Every press conference without fail, somebody will ask Dana and Dana will say the exact same thing that he said for the last 20 years, which is, we'll see what happens. Which is the only answer Dana can give at the pulpit that night. He's digesting so much. There's so many moving parts. He's high on excitement. He wants to try to contain that. But Dana cannot come out and say, what's next for Max until he talks to Max. There's a doctor report out there. Every time you fight, you leave the cage, you have to decompress through the commission, which involves a doctor. If Dana hasn't spoke to the, for all Dana knows, Max has a broken hand. Just by example, I use Max, but Dana, Max has a broken hand that Dana didn't know about. Dana's going to go to the pulpit and say, yeah, Max is up in, in three months and here's his opponent. He can't do that, which is why Dana has to always say, let's see what happens. One of the reasons, multiple reasons Dana has to say it. I'm just offering you one that maybe you don't consider. That's not what happened this time completely. Dana's said, and, and it was in conjunction with Volkanovski, and Volkanovski, of course, is scheduled to fight Ortega. Dana said, we have to make that match. Talking about Max, Volkanovski, we have to make it. Volkanovski, Max, part three. I don't know what that means. This is Dana talking. I don't know if that means that we just put Max on ice. Hey, Max, your next fight is for the title, and we're just, off we go. And Dana even said, even Volkanovski could not watch that fight and deny that we've got to do Volkan Max part. And I'm only speaking to you from a fundamental standpoint that we've only seen one fighter ever sit and wait for a title shot. Before that, when that title's already signed up to be contested. This, of course, is happening right now. Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou beats Rosenstrike. Dana says he's done. And this is before, this is with Cormier and Stipe still lingering. Still five weeks away. And Dana says Francis is done. He's taking on the winner. And we're going to wait however long we had to take. Now, that was from a level of responsibility. Not just to do the right thing and recognize Francis as the number one contender. It was also a responsibility because Francis will hurt you badly. Dana has a responsibility to put people in there who can reasonably and intelligently defend themselves. So it's a very unique spot. But now we're being told that that might be exactly what happens to Max, which is an equal compliment. Dana's looking at Max and saying, man, this guy is so good. I cannot float him around a division. I just can't. I have to put him in there with the top guy. So let's see if that all plays out. None of that is my point. I don't think that Dana, Max, Volkanov, anybody is bound to the thoughts that happened at that press conference. But I would reserve for you one other suggestion, which is simply Zabit. I mean, we can't deny Max forever. Dana's right. We cannot purely deny Max based on the ideology that Volkanovsky already did this and did this again and therefore is entitled to his own reign and run, which involves parody. I do think some consideration needs to be given to that. I think that consideration is being given right now. I think that's where you insert, uh, insert Brian Ortega. Should Volkanovsky make it through that match? Does he then have to go into Max? I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like he's going to have to. I think that I would agree with Dana when he says even Volkanovsky can't deny that Max is the top contender, but I do think yeah, I think many of those arguments that I'm making around making sure that Max also has some level of reward, some level of incentive, which is the fact that he is still eligible to compete for a championship, even though he's done it twice with the same guy. I think you have to show that same respect of that argument to Zabi and other guys, in all fairness. Your, your ear is out for a second, so we'll set him aside. I don't believe the Korean zombie should be eliminated from conversation. I don't believe just because the zombie got beat by Ortega that should eliminate him. It will remove him for the short term. Just offer for you 145 pounds There's some very, very good matches. Max versus Zombie is one of those matches, in fairness. Not going to happen right now because of the loss that, that Zombie had. But what do you do with Zabit? I mean, you can only leave this guy out for so long. I made that suggestion to Ariel. I made that suggestion and Ariel quickly pushed back and said, that'd be a terrible thing to do to Zabit. Zabit has been removed from the sport for a year. You're going to bring him back and put him in five rounds with Max. I mean, he quickly threw water on So maybe you guys are the same way. Maybe you're with Ariel. You don't agree with me on it. I just feel as though 
Zabit has done some very heavy lifting. Zabit and Max have a common opponent, which is Calvin Cater. And it would seem as though getting those together, uh, guys together makes a level of sense. I don't know how bullish I am on the idea that we just put Max out. Again, I don't feel that Max, as a reward for his success, should be punished with a layoff, which might be how he looks at it, whether it's intended or not. And we know that that's a real thing because that's how Francis is looking at things right now. Francis was thrilled the night he was named number one contender. He was thrilled even though he had to wait, but had a very clear path that I'm going to take on the winner of these two, meaning Stipe and Cormier. But today, five months later, Francis is annoyed. So there's a few moving parts, right? We know one thing in life. Don't try to please everybody because it's impossible. But it's a tough question of what do you do with Max? And if I was to put in what I would like, I do like the idea that he can get back to Volkanovski. I do not love the idea that he's refused. And I think that we do that in conjunction with recognizing Volkanovski did something twice, got his hand raised twice, like it, disagree, whatever. He did it. Would like some fresh blood. I think if you gave a good look to a matchup with Zabit versus Max, I think that's hard to look away from. Hey y'all, taking a moment to share a new podcast, True Underdog, recently launched by four-time Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner, Jason Waller. It's real, it's raw, it is motivational. If you're looking for inspiring stories and killer entrepreneurship advice, you've got to head over and subscribe to the True Underdog podcast. Jason Waller is the definition of a true underdog. He was raised in a trailer park, suffered childhood abuse, was was kicked out of high school and became a father in his teens after struggling to care for his young family and hearing the words no and you can't. Too many times Jason found the power within and used his street smarts to start three companies from the ground up with his latest venture, Power Home Solar, on the path to becoming a billion dollar enterprise. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling motivated already and trust me when I tell you this guy's energy is contagious. Head over to True Underdog Podcast and hear how Jason and his high-profile guests turn their lives around to achieve massive success. Subscribe to True Underdog Podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app. So Magni and Kiesa, you know, I got to tell you, this is a bit of a treat. Like, like as a fight fan, this is on Wednesday, FYI, to all you guys. So this is a treat to get a Wednesday fight card, not to mention on the back of a debut on ABC where everybody's still drunk on excitement of what Max Holloway did. And right before Conor Poria, I mean, it feels like a treat, right? In many ways, when there's a major pay-per-view and a Conor McGregor definitely qualifies as a major pay-per-view, there's usually a lull. It's usually the opposite. Historically speaking, there's a break between and then there's a break after. And everybody gets it, right? It looks like a market. It shoots up to the top and it starts to balance out a little bit. We're not getting that this time. And not to mention Kiesa Magni. A lot happened on that. One guy that does not come out and try to entertain you is Neil Magni. It makes me mad because Magni checks a lot of boxes. He's a handsome guy. He's a young guy. He's a talented guy at a really great gym. He's, he's, he's got teammates that are world champions, just to put in perspective for you. And he's a hammer. Magni just broke or tied a record. But it was the record held by George St. Pierre. I believe he just tied it. He might have just brought the point being the guy's a total stud, but he doesn't come out and shine his own wheel. I'm telling you Magni's a stud, but you're never going to hear Magni tell you that Magni's a stud. And in this business, it's so important, right? That brash, arrogant guy, which you're told from your first day in Little League, don't do that in sports. It's unsportsmanlike. You're told that, but in this industry, you're rewarded for it. And Magni doesn't do it well. I think things have changed. I really do. And Magni's still, he's not great at it. He, he's still a sportsman. He's a gentleman, but he did 
come out and he was pretty aggressive in calling out Chemayev. That pissed him off. A lot of the guys in the division looked at the push of Chemayev and said, well, I shouldn't have to fight him because he's not ranked high enough. Now, that's because they were scared and didn't want to fight. Magny said the opposite. Magny said, I'm pissed off about it and I'm willing to prove it. And Magny got some run for that. But I also submit for you, he's about to main event a show on ESPN. Now, Magny's done feature matches before. I submit to you, one of the reasons that he was chosen to be the absolute headliner is because he's he's saying he wants it. I think he's being rewarded for calling out Shemaev myself. I think this is the spot that he belongs in. And when he's opposite Kiesa, man, there's a couple of Kiesa. And you'll hear that about a lot of athletes. Well, which one's going to show up today? Here's the bad news if you're facing Kiesa. Both of them are really good, but one of them's great. If you were to go back and look at the Michael Kiesa that took on Carlos Condit, by example, that one's great. If you go found a bad Kiesa, that one's still good. You don't get any easy nights with Kiesa. Is the good one or the great one going to show up? Not a great answer if you're facing him, but that's the reality here. I think that there's an interesting story going into this fight. I don't know that either one of these guys is, is what you would call brash. They're both gentlemen. I get it, but there is going to be a reward for whoever comes out of this. I'm not the only fight fan sitting around out here thinking that this is a treat. A lot of people are looking forward to this. This is going to get a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs, not to mention what a great thing to do on fight week. There's no reason to suppress Connor Mania. Add to it. At live events, it's added to. Joe Rogan will put on a live stand-up performance. The weigh-ins turn into a show. You're going to have press conferences. You're going to have Q&A. It's an entire experience. If we have to do this virtual, fine. But let's do it anyway. Let's use this. Let's build up, man. Let's get in fight mode. Let's have something to do midweek. I just think it's really exciting, but I think for the two athletes involved, I don't know that it's totally about the punches and the kick. These guys can both push hard. Five rounds isn't going to be a problem for these boys. They can both finish one another. Kessel will choke your lights out. Magni will knock your lights out. It's just one of those things. Not likely to go all 25. I don't know that I have a favorite going into this. Regardless of the fact that Magni either just tied or just broke George St. Pierre's record. Somewhere, well, some record, he tied it or broke it of George St. Pierre. I'm not willing to give him the nod. Kiesa can beat him. Kiesa can beat him. He's going to need one of those great nights. Magni's not just good. Magni's above good. He's good. Kiesa's going to need one of those. But there's ways, you know, Kiesa gets this to the ground, particularly if he does it early. A lot of questions on that. Kiesa's the better wrestler. I think Magni, Magni would likely concede that, at least in private. But getting in on Magni and getting him down, how many people have you seen do that? He's hard. He's hard to close the distance on. You start to get inside, man, he'll raise one of those knees up. He'll drop an elbow on your face. You're going to pay for it. It's an interesting match. I don't, I'm not ready to make a prediction. And I feel like I'm running out of time. Maybe I'm being a coward. I'm not making a prediction, but I will. I'll predict certain things for you. I'll predict something good really happens to these guys. The winner of this, I'll predict his 2021 starts to look real bright. Also predict for you, it's not going to go the day. I think one guy is going to dominate the other. You ready for that? I'm not ready to tell you who it is prediction-wise, but I will tell one of these guys is going to dominate the other. Whether it's Magni with that range, whether it's Kiesa, he gets on tight and can start to pass guard and, and go to work there. I don't know that these guys complement each other perfectly. I think they're a great matchup for the fans, but I think we're going to see a domination. Just not ready to tell you by who. You're going to hear in sports all the time, and you've heard it. In sport, no matter what level of sport you did, you've certainly heard the words sacrifice. you got to sacrifice. And I'm watching this payoff. I'm watching this payoff right now in real time for Michael Chandler. you got to back the table. A lot of people, and it stunned me, who are unfamiliar with Michael Chandler. They've heard the name right out of the gate. Chandler was like 24 years old, just out of college. He's accepted an award at the World MMA Awards, Fight of the Year, his fight with uh, Eddie Alvarez. I'm taking you guys back, but I mean, Chandler came in hard and fast. 
past on a good run. And some people have said they haven't seen him compete. They've only read about him. So I, but I bring this to you when I'm talking about sacrifice because Chandler's been through a lot recently. He didn't get TV exposure necessarily for being the backup fighter for the Khabib Gaethje fight, but he did get an experience. He did get on the airplane. He did eat the food. He did sleep in the same hotel that he's at right now. This is all relevant because there are not very many athletes, if any, that we could identify their debut in the promotion going great. Plenty of athletes you could find that won their debut. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about them performing at their best, them performing great. There was always something weird about it that they will talk about when it's done. A commonality is it was different. I don't know what was different. I don't know what was different here than it was where I was before, but it was different and it affected. Just a common theme that we've heard. I bring that to you because Chandler, who got on the plane, who did the training camp, who did the weigh-in, who did the paperwork, who did the quarantine, is now doing it a second time, which changes things in a positive manner for Chandler, at least some degree. You go watch Dan Hooker fight. Chandler's the favorite in this fight, but if I was to ask you a simple question, well, how's Chandler going to beat him? You would be stuck. And the common belief amongst those who support the idea that Chandler is going to go beat him, say he's going to take him down. It's going to take him down. It's only three rounds. Dan Hooker likes that 20, that 22 minute mark. He's never going to see it because this is scheduled for three fives. And that favors Chandler. I don't argue with you, but you're talking about Chandler taking down the hangman at will and keeping him there. That's what you're talking about. You're not talking about he gets takedowns. He has to be able to take him down when he wants to take him down and he has to keep him there. And I would just, I would just ask you, show me someone else that's done that. You show me someone else that done that. And that's what you're using as your trajectory to predict that it happens again. I'm probably left without a retort, but as it sits right now, I will tell you, I'm a little surprised that Chandler's the favorite just to start with. I do see where things are helping him. I see where the sacrifice that he made, the airplane trips, the training camp, the weigh-ins for nothing. Well, no, it's not for nothing. It was all to get him ready for something. And that something is this. I do see those as benefit. If history is true and Chandler underperforms, can he beat Hooker? I think you have to ask yourself that. I'm not answering that question. I'm asking it. If history repeat, do you think these two are close? Are you arguing that Chandler is meaningfully better than the number five ranked guy in the world? I don't know. I don't know that you're doing that. So if history is true and Chandler underperforms, underperforming, is he still good enough to beat Hooker? I think that these are all things you have to consider. Even Eddie Alvarez, who went on to be the champion of the world, lost his very first fight in the octagon. Do you guys remember that? He lost it. I believe it was to Cowboy Cerrone. He lost it though. Came all the way back, won the world championship. Went on to be one half next to Conor McGregor of the biggest live gate in mixed martial arts history. I mean, but he had to come back, underperform. It's a real thing. When I look at Chandler as though this is a foregone conclusion, I'm telling you, the conclusion is not foregone. There's a reason these boys have to go out and fight. There's a reason they don't just mail an award to Chandler. He's got to go get this done. And I think that you are conflicted with the response. Even if you tell me you think Chandler's going to win, I think you're conflicted with the response when I just asked you simply how. So the Henry DeGlon was over the weekend. Henry DeGlon Challenge is, is a very big tournament, and I want you guys to pay it its respects because it's been around forever. It takes place in Nice, France. Nancy Schultz, when I was wrestling, I was with the Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. She would take a team there every year, and it was the only overseas trip Nancy did. But Nancy, who knows wrestling, had so much respect for this tournament. I remember going over there. Some tough teams, man, and we didn't bring back a whole bunch of medals. I mean, it, it, this is a hard tournament. The Russians always send representation, always. But now, 
now you're getting Azerbaijan coming. You're getting the Ukrainians coming. You're getting the Georgians coming. You're getting Olympic medalists that are not placing in this tournament. So just for American fans, with how confusing you with some of the foreign athletes and some of the names and what they've done, but let's just look at the Americans because we had Vito, Gilman, and Nikki Freestyle all in the same way. And the Gilman-Nikki Suriano match is what we were most looking forward to. A lot of questions there. Who's going to win this match, right? That weight class is so very compelling in America, where many people secretly believe Spencer Lee is going to come in and win the whole damn thing. But if you look at national team rankings, he's not on the national team, though he is the U.S. Open champion. So it's just one of these things where it's a mess. Okay, this will help add a little bit of clarity. Let's get Nick in there. Let's get him with Gilman, a world silver medalist. Let's see what happens. They end up not meeting up. Gilman goes down in a very weird match. It was 6-6 criteria. I'm just going to call it a weird match and move on. But he goes down in the semis. Nicky's on the other side, comes in in the finals against the guy who beat Gilman. And Nick, Nick whipped this guy, man. It was 7-1, to one, but Nick beat him up. Nick shoved this kid out of bounds. He pushed his face in the mat. I mean, Nick Nick beat this guy up. Like, if Nick beat him 7-1 to one and they go rematch, it's not like that guy's going to come out there better. That guy's not going to want to do that match again. It was Nick beat this guy up and beat him by six points. Does that give you clear? Does that mean that Nick can beat Gilman? You bet your ass it does not. Absolutely does not. Gilman will wash that match off and it'll be a fresh slate. Gilman would have sat in the stands in the finals and studied that match. But if you're going to do a ranking, you're going to have to give Nick his due. So Nick is in that conversation full well. He's never not been in it. I'm talking about the absolute who's going to make the team the end period. Iron on top of iron. Nick is now in that conversation very much so. Gilman stays in it. Got a world silver medal, right? Gilman never left that talk. Then you have the talk, where, where does where does Lee go? And not to mention, Vito looked damn good. Even though Vito went down early, he went down like 13 to 15. These guys put more points up on the board than any other match that happened at the Henry DeGlan. I'm only offering for you, we don't have we don't have clarity there. But we do have dialogue. We do have a new conversation. Dake was in the tournament. It was not an overly stacked bracket, aside from Dake, if you're just looking at credentials. And Dake, man, he just went on a tear. Dake ended up getting a forfeit in the final. I submit for you, there was nothing wrong with his opponent. Dake, there's no, let's just take this one off. We made it the fight. Let's take this one. That's what I submit for you really happened. Schneider ran through the tournament. Schneider was supposed to have Ajibastan in the semis. And the Ajibastani had beaten Schneider before, by the way, beat him the last time they wrestled world championships, forfeited the match. And he also was not hurt or sick. He said, I don't want to do this match. Olympics around the corner. We're going to see each other. I want to save. I want to save these bullets. I don't want to do it here. And he forfeited the match. Uh, Gizwowski did great. Gizwowski would be the Olympic champion. I think if any of you watched the duels where Nick had problems with Gable and he had problems with Mason Paris, the one thing you do need to know about Gwiz is Gwiz will always show up on nights that he knows he needs to show up. I don't believe that Gable had a fear. I don't think that Gwiz feared Gable. They wrestled a couple times. They were hard matches. Gable never beat him. And I don't think that Gwiz appreciated what Mason had done or what he could do. I think Gwiz dismissed the junior championship. He won't make that mistake again. Gwiz has never told me that. Gwiz has never offered an excuse. I am submitting for you that I don't think that Gwiz knew those matches were going to be as hard as those matches turned out to be. I just submit that for you. And I think if you go look at at Nice, I think if you look at the hammers and the weight of which Nick competed with and beat, I think that you, you will see there's some weight to what I'm saying. When he understands what he's getting into, it's a different Gwiz than if the rare times he makes a mistake of dismissing an opponent. 
Guys, I can't take the Conor McGregor has conditioning weaknesses talk. I can't take it anymore. I've never seen it, and I argue that you've never seen it. It is a false narrative that won't seem to go away. Now, Poirier's side has made the statement today is where I bring this up. They say, ah, you know, I think we're going to expose the conditioning weaknesses in Conor McGregor. I would never question Poirier's conditioning. You could go back and see his most recent fight with Dan Hooker. That was a war for 25 minutes. Poirier never backed down. The harder things get, the better they are for him, which is a direct result of your conditioning. I just don't think it's wise to question Connors. Connor has lost two matches before because he got tired and had to stop fighting. First of which was against Nate Diaz. Second against was against Floyd Mayweather. So if you come and go, Chael, you just admitted it. I've admitted nothing. I've admitted to you nothing. Connor McGregor was a 145 pounder who went up to 170 to face Nate Diaz. He never should have been in there. He never should have agreed on that weight. And when he came out and had no experience at that weight, and dropped that left hand that had put so many other people down and Nate's still standing there like it never happened and coming at him. Yes, it broke him. I, I get it. And yes, Connor admitted it. I was not efficient with my energy. He redid the match. He changed a little of his strategy. He did not put everything into those hands and he then went 25 minutes and never backed down. When you talk about Connor with Floyd, guys, you try it. Go do something that you're not used to doing, no matter what level of shape you're in. If you're an incredible shape, you could be a marathon runner. If I go put you on an aerodyne and you haven't done an aerodyne before, I will break you, I will make you quit, and you will vomit in less than 10 minutes. If you run a marathon 28 miles and it took you hours to, I will break you mentally and physically in 10 minutes by putting you on the aerodyne. That's not to say the guy that can do the aerodyne for 30 minutes could then go and run a marathon for hours. It's a different exercise. No matter what level of shape you're in, if you go and do something that you're not conditioned and used to doing, you're going to get tired. Connor eventually got tired with Floyd. A half an hour into the fight. I watched Canelo get tired against Floyd nine minutes into the fight. So I just I don't think it's a real narrative. I do think there is something to the strategy though. Because if you're talking about you're going to expose his conditioning, what you're talking about is getting in the fight later. That part I like. Drag Connor out there a little bit. I'll admit he's more dangerous in the first round than he is in the fourth round. I will concede those things back to you. I'm very fair about what I see. But to talk about Connor doesn't have the grit, the toughness, or the conditioning, that is a fake narrative based on two sporting events which were captured on live TV. One where he went up not one, but two weight classes, and one where he went to a sport he'd never done before. Max Holloway has doubled down on his idea that not sparring is what's helping him. Now, let me walk you guys through this, okay? Max was the same as all the rest of us, doing everything you can, studying martial arts, but studying performance and trying to figure out uniquely to you what is your best way to prepare. Okay, great, a pandemic hits. Max now can't go into the gym and doesn't have sparring partners that are showing up on a daily basis. He's resigned to his garage, in large part, not unique to Max, in large part part this is what everybody's going through but max has commented on it because of the confines of space he's not sparring and when he went out and did it the first time it wasn't to go have some great performance he was worried is this going to matter he almost offered this i haven't sparred as a preemptive excuse whether he meant it that way or not he al almost offered it as look things aren't going my way but i'm gonna go out and do this anyway what do you mean things aren't going away well, i haven't even got a spar so he goes out he performs he performs so well like, well maybe this is the way to go so going to his fight with caters the same spot 
lot. And Max had even stated how many times he sparred. I can't remember. It was either he'd sparred three times for the whole training camp or I haven't even sparred three times. Some kind of a comment, meaning he wasn't sparring. And he goes out and he has this amazing performance. And a couple of things happen when you don't spar. A couple of things. First off, finding that target is very tough. Finding a target, if you guys ever go out and just hit a heavy bag just to see, you're going to find out that you get tired extremely fast, but you're also going to miss that heavy bag a couple of times. It's going to hurt your elbow. You're going to throw a punch and lock your elbow and not hit anything and it hurts. You go, man, I got, okay. Well, now imagine that heavy bag is trained. Oh, and by the way, imagine that heavy bag starts moving and then it starts throwing things, but it's just very hard. You got to learn that in sparring. Talking about your timing, talking about your range, talking about your distance, but you've got to learn these things in sparring. So when you don't spar, you lose those three things. Timing, range, distance. Moreover, is you won't have the conditioning to do it. None of these things happen with Max. Max had the opposite effect. Now, should people study this and learn from Max and never spar again? The greatest featherweight ever, maybe the hardest weight class out there, and the greatest to have ever, doesn't spar, I guess I shouldn't spar. Well, that's going to be a conclusion by many, but I, hold off. This wasn't Max's plan. This was very serendipitous by Max. It just, it just happened this way. He wasn't expecting to get this result, but he did get it. Moving forward, is that going to be good? Guys, only time's going to tell. I can tell you another fight, well-known fighter, I'm going to leave his name out of it, quit sparring. And it worked very well until it didn't. And that fighter grew old overnight. Overnight, you saw him fight and go, my goodness, what happened? This guy looks like he's regressed 10 years. That's the common effect. I've seen many athletes, just myself. I'll use the wrestling, wrestling scenario by example. Retired from wrestling, a year later, the US Open being held, they get a ticket and they shoot out. They haven't worked out, they haven't done anything. And they will go out and get their best place ever at the US Open. Largely, that is mental. They just don't care anymore. There's a power, not in being careless, there's a power in caring less. Every relationship, business or personal, somebody cares more than the other. Whoever cares less has the power. So there's a power in caring less, and that's where they're at. They're no longer, it's not their life's dream. They're doing something else. They just popped in to have some fun. That's one, one effect. But the other is it's a year later. The year later is the tipping point. Guys don't seem to lose it within a year. But one day, you will wake up and it's gone. It is gone. Your timing, your balance, your conditioning, your pacing, it's gone. So even if it works in the short term, it is not a long-term play from my personal experience. I bring that to you because even though Max isn't sparring, he's getting great results, Max probably isn't going to spar again anytime soon because he's getting such good results. Max might change his mind. Finding what's best for you generally is the broad stroke approach, which is work really hard. If you ever hear an athlete saying, I don't, I'm not working harder, I'm working smarter, bet against him. Those are the words of a fool. And that is the beginning of the end. If you do not outwork your opponent, you're not going to beat your opponent. That is a broad stroke, but that is a 99.999% true statement or more. There might be a few more nines in there. It just appears not to be true for Max. Max is one of these guys that has found another way, but we don't know what that is. Before you guys go copy Max and think, well, I don't have to spar anymore. I can assure you Max is working his ass off. I can assure you he has traded that sparring for something else. That's the part he hasn't told us. Whether that's more miles, whether that's more rounds on the jump rope, whether that's more mitt work, Max is not looking at, okay, I, I usually spar twice a week. I'm just going to stay home those days. Now that's, don't If you're hearing that from the champ, you're hearing him wrong. Max is not offered for us the rest of the recipe. But I promise you, the day that he does come out and offer it for you, it is not working smarter, not harder. That I will tell you right now.
Dan Hooker was talking about his division, talking about 257, and he said that he thinks Conor McGregor, outside of Khabib, skill for skill is the best lightweight in the world. And it was the skill for skill part that I want to talk about, because I don't know what that means. I, I'm assuming that skill for skill means dynamic. Who can do what? Who is a master of more trades? Because in that regard, it is Conor. Khabib is not dynamic, very one-dimensional. Now, I tell you he's one-dimensional because nobody stopped that dimension. So we don't know what all Khabib is capable of. He never had to show it. But the skill for skill part, when Hooker talked about this, maybe that, well, now wait just a second. Skill for skill, Dan, you, you're in front of Khabib. Khabib takes people down and then mulls them. It just surprised me that he said skill for skill as a qualification and then put Connor number two to Khabib or a number of other lightweights. It just surprised me. And as I say this to you, does it matter? In my opinion, no, it does not. It does not matter to me if you're exciting, if you're boring, if you're dynamic, if you're a one-dimensional master, it does not matter. The only thing that matters to me is can you beat the guy in front of you. And I'll tell you, you guys have heard of Team Quest. Team Quest went on and was a, a very big gym until it dissolved. And But before it was Team's Quest, it was called Performance Quest. And the thought behind Performance Quest, and this is when uh, Randy Couture and Dan Henderson first started this. They opened it, they named it Performance Quest because they were not doing a belt system. You did not have to be a black belt or a blue belt. Randy Couture was the sitting champion of the world and had no belt in any form of martial arts. I tie that in with the name Performance Quest. The reason he he named it Performance Quest was the ideology that this is based on performance, not belt, not skill, not who's more dynamic, performance. Did you beat him or did he beat you? So when I tie in that for me, I do not believe Khabib is dynamic. He's, I mean, when you're talking the Demetrius Johnsons or the George St. Pierre's of the world or the Kamaru Usman's, I don't feel that you can bring Khabib into that conversation. Who can beat who, which is the only thing that matters, you got to put Khabib at the very top of that conversation. I fully agree. But that that's not what Dan Hooker qualified it as. He was saying skill for skill. Now, I don't know the definition of skill for skill. I'm telling you what I hear when he says skill for skill. I assume that he means dynamic, which would not be Khabib. And it is a very interesting topic. I, I, I feel as though Conor McGregor does not get the credit he deserves. And while you guys are going to look at that and quickly go, chill, what are you talking about? He's the highest paid guy in the sport. He's, he's, he's more over than anybody in the sport. I still believe for his talents that he is underappreciated. Feel if you went back and you looked at who he has beaten in his career, which includes Max Holloway, by the way, which includes Dustin Poirier, by the way. I mean, the top biggest stars includes Nate Diaz, by the way, includes Chad Mendes, includes Eddie Alvarez. I mean, if you were to go back and look at who Connors beat, how he beat them, Max Holloway fight, Connors out there, what, what did he have, a torn ACL or was it an MCL? Whatever it was, it was a tear and it, it involved surgery and he still won. But you could break that down through his career even as you go over into boxing and go, man, a half hour later and very even on real judging, not on the corrupt Nevada State Athletic Commission scorecards, on real scorecards, a very close fight with Floyd Mayweather. You know, this guy's skills are quite remarkable and his grappling skills, which you don't see a ton of, but I have seen at least a little of through training videos, admittedly, but through training videos, very good grapple. I even appreciated him as a coach when he went on the Ultimate Fighter. I thought he was a surprisingly good coach. And I only offer for you that, that, that all around, as far as who Who's ranked where? You know, the, the pound for pound rankings came out and Connor was on the list, but he was lower on the list than you would think. He was somewhere in the top 10, but he wasn't in the top five or six. I thought that was a surprise. And I thought that when you're judging a pound for pound list and you have one of the few guys in the sport who has actually tested the theory, who has actually left weight classes. Pound for pound is this really interesting talk and I don't think that people know what it means. And it's not up for your opinion. A boxing reporter in 1974 out of Brooklyn, New York coined the phrase, which means 
means he gets to coin the definition, which he did, which was, of any athlete, if they all weighed the same, who would beat who? He did not go any further with the definition. So it doesn't have to do with who's the most dynamic or the most skilled or the most finishes. It has to do with who could beat who if they all weighed the same. That's all that pound for pound means. It doesn't mean anything more. And it does seem to me that if you're looking at Conor McGregor, an athlete who's covered the spread of three different weights. So it's not a big mythical question of how would this guy do if he changed weight? Some athletes actually did it. Those athletes should be moved to the front of the list. It doesn't have to be a mythical wonder where you close your eyes and you imaginate or you sit across the table and you argue. Some athletes had the balls to go do it. He's one of the very few and he is the only, at least within meaningful contention, that did it in three weight classes. Four if you want to include boxing over two different sports. I think that needs to be considered. There has been an interesting topic of in-fight chatter. What do you think of that? I'm talking about one athlete talking to the other athlete when they're fighting. Khabib had just weighed in on this, and he loves it. Apparently, Khabib does that. I didn't know that. Says he talks to the corner, talks to the opponent, talks to Dana. He says it is amazing, and then he said he loved that Max Holloway did it over the weekend. So I'm just asking you guys your opinion. I will tell you as a fan, I had no idea Khabib did this. I've never heard anything he said. I was aware that he spoke to Connor in that fight, but that was very obvious. For Khabib, who doesn't have a, a, a complete mastery of the language, he does very well, but not a complete mastery of the language, it would just make me curious in what language is he speaking to the opponent, to the corner, and to Dana, and does he think falsely that they're understanding him? I did not even know that he did this. I have no problem with it from a sportsmanship standpoint. If you were trying to throw your opponent off and you were trying to do things to distract him physically, and you think that you have one to do verbally, go right ahead. I mean, I don't think it's like Little League or I, I came even from NCAA wrestling. If you say something during a wrestling, they will take a point from you and possibly disqualify you. I don't see it that way in professional sport. If they want to go ahead and talk. I couldn't care any less, but I also didn't know it was taking place. The only ones that I know that have talked and that I have enjoyed to some level are the Diaz brothers. And even though I can't hear anything they're saying, they say it through body language as well. So there, there was a level of entertainment, which I bring to you because when Khabib was saying he loved it, that Max did it. I saw a lot of you guys were very turned off by Mac. You thought it was very unsportsmanlike to be whipping somebody's ass and then to start talking to them. I have to defend Max on this. I have to. I know Max. I've known Max a long time. He is an absolute gentleman, but I know what you saw, and I know how that looked, and particularly to new viewers. Now, But please consider it from Max's standpoint. All Max was doing was realizing we're on ABC and I'm going to try to be entertaining. In the process of doing that, yes, he looked like a jerk, and yes, to yell at a guy who you have out struck five to one in a fight that should have been stopped seven minutes ago, you could see where he looked like a bully and a jerk. I'm only sharing to you because I know Max and I know what a nice heart he has. He thought he was just being entertaining. That's what he thought. So before you pass judgment on Max or before you couple, I brought in the Diaz brothers, Khabib was talking about it. Before you couple Max into that, Max has never done that in any fight. He would not have done that had they not were on, uh, on ABC. I'm only sharing that at least his own thought was to be entertained. And it's a little bit different. And you know, when athletes do, do, do talk in sport, Many times, I, you've seen it in the NFL. They'll get face-to-face, -face, the cameras zoom in, and the referees jump in, and they separate. I mean, there's some sport where there's just not a place. They don't want to do it, say, the NFL. Say in the NBA, when they do it on the court, they don't want to do it. Why? Because it could escalate into a fight. Well, when you're already in a fight, you see where this isn't problematic. You, you see where if you're already in a fist fight, the talking would kind of like, to, in baseball terms, that would kind of be first base. So things have already jumped off. Things have already gone bad. They're just called the unified rules. So 
it's a little bit different. And I've never done it, but I've never done it just from an energy standpoint. Man, I'm, I'm out here fighting for air. I'm fighting you know, for every piece of energy. So I I would not have that within me. I've seen Adesanya do it a few times. I've seen Adesanya like go into a breakdance mid-fight. He did something cool with Anderson and like turned his hand and said, come on, like right as the bell dung in the second round just prior to the third. It was this really cool move, but I remember seeing him do it and go, I wouldn't have the energy to do that. I'm not spending any, any of whatever gas, whatever fuel I brought into this fight, I'm not using on a breakdance, but for some guys, it relaxes them. So my main point of speaking to you on this was this is a talking point. A talking point could be brought up, but I also had another mission which to cover Max a little bit. Don't judge Max on that. If that was your first time, first time viewing, and you thought this guy's whipping another guy, and now he's trying to tease him and make him look like a fool, none of that was in Max's heart. I promise you that. I had some people upset, which brought me an evil pleasure. I'm very happy about this, but I had some people upset. I had done something called a retweet, retweet with comment of an Anthony Joshua workout session. And I like to watch training videos. And I noticed that you guys do too. I mean, I noticed those numbers on YouTube, Mike Tyson training or De La Hoya or Mayweather, but you know, we just sit back, we watch these guys train. You put, you lay like a soundtrack over it of some kind of a music. It brings back some Rocky theme moments. Even the movie Rocky, I like watching him train. It was just, there's something about that, but it's also motivational. Get you fired up, make you want to go grab your shoes and head out your front door for a run. It's just one of those things, except when you watch Anthony Joshua do it. And I've never known for a decade. I haven't, I, I don't know as I'm talking to you right now. If he is very disciplined to not show it. And there's some guys that are that way. I can remember in, in MMA Chuck Liddell, but I've also talked with Coach Hackleman, who's told me that when the cameras would come on in Chuck's locker room warming up, that they would would start doing silly stuff that Hackleman would see the camera come on and never call out the combos that he was going to call for in the fight. They would do silly. He just didn't like to show it. I bring that to you because that's a real thing. Some guys are that way. And for 10 years though, I can't tell if Anthony Joshua is that way or if he is wildly lazy for the sport of boxing, not lazy in general, but lazy for the sport of boxing. And I maintain for you, and I realize I'm the skunk at the garden party. I don't think he knows how to box. That guy's terrible. I remember when Stipe was talking about he wanted to go box. And then Tyson Fury's name came out. And we're all going, whoa, 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 hey, Stipe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But then there was talk of, no, he was going to go fight Anthony Joshua. And we're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. And Joshua, I do not, as I tell you, I find him to be terrible. I don't maintain for you that I could name five guys alive that I know that could beat him. I mean, to find five boxers is a very hard thing. Use yourselves as an example. Name five boxers you know. No, 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 not that you know of. Name five boxers that you know. None of you succeeded. All right, great. Name three. Tell me three guys that you know that have ever gotten in the ring with gloves on and followed the Queensberry's rules against somebody else. Uh, none of you have three. Tell me one. And most of you don't have one. 90% of you don't have one. Now, I'm only trying to prove a point. Nobody boxes. So yes, I don't know five guys that could beat him in box. I don't know five heavyweight boxers. I'm in the professional fight biz. I don't know five heavyweight boxers. Personally, what I share for you is that he is a very big athlete. He is a big, strong athlete. But as far as having a rhythm, as far as having footwork, understanding distance, He's got a natural power, by the way. I mean, he's that's a tough night out, for sure. But as he's getting ready to fight Fury, and we're getting ready to make believe that he can beat Fury, man, that's a stretch for me. I can't even see this guy working hard in the gym. And the one boxer that they brought him that was as big as him, just happened to get on the scale away as much as him, knocked him down five times and knocked him out, all in less than four rounds. I understand they rematched and he got his belt back, but I'm just sharing for you my argument, whether I'm right or wrong, 
I have a feeling I'm gonna hear from you guys. Probably gonna think I'm wrong. I'm open to that. But I maintain that he's just a big guy. First and foremost, that he's a big guy. That if you put him in there with somebody who just naturally is as much man as he is, that things don't go well. And sometimes they go really bad. So as we look forward to he and Fury, and Eddie Hearn says this fight is almost done. L let's see. We'll see. But I don't think what I'm telling you about Anthony Joshua is anything different than Anthony knows about himself. The mere fact that in 10 years, 10 years of highlight reel training videos that he is filming, that he is releasing, meaning he likes what he's seeing there. In 10 years of highlight training reels, I've never seen him sweat. He's about to take on a big man who, by the way, knows how to fight. And who, by the way, likes to fight. Jan Anthony doesn't like to fight. A lot of fight. A lot of people in the fight game that don't like to fight. But they're good athletes. They like to compete. You can make it a fight. They'll check out early. Am I being too negative? I now that I say it, I, I felt a little negative there. But I mean every word. I think he's terrible. All right, Dillashaw, suspension, over, free man. And where does he go from here? I feel I have to remind the audience that he went out the champion of the world because there has been some dialogue. It's light, but Dana himself was asked about it. Dana did not deny it. That TJ could step right into a world title fight. And by the way, now that his suspension is up, and I realize that we're inside of 48 hours here, but either way, it's up and there's no announcement. I don't even see callouts by TJ. I mean, you've had a level amount of time to plan for this and there's no announcements made, but there is a world title fight come. I mean, what, what is going on there? I don't predict TJ's going in for a world title fight. I'm just predicting for you that all options, or rem reminding you rather, all options are open, including that one. For me, any road for TJ and Faber that don't drive each other straight together, I personally am going to just go, why didn't we do that? But in the meanwhile, and by meanwhile, I mean earlier today, Frankie Edgar weighed in on whether TJ should be able to go right into a title shot. And Frankie said, no, he's got to fight at least once before he goes for a title shot. Now, that's about as, as stern of talk as you're ever going to get from Frankie Edgar. But at the same time, sounds like a call out to me. I mean, in many ways, that sounds like a call out. And if I was to tell you that Frankie Edgar is going to fight TJ Dillashaw, not one of you disagree. Not one of you don't want to see it. Not one of you argue for it, uh, against it. And I will tell you, that's a fight I never considered. That just never crossed my mind. And there's so many fun options there. Oh, Jose Aldo is a very fun option for TJ. I think just in terms of timing of storyline of look, two guys, sometimes two guys just have to fight, not want to fight, not get to fight, not rankings fight, not championships, but two guys have to fight. That's where I'm at with TJ and Uriah. But if you set that aside, Jose Aldo's a great option. Sure he is. Quite frankly, the winner of uh, of Jan and Aljo is a great fight for TJ. You might not like that he comes into a title fight. I'm talking about the fight. You don't have any problem with that. And then what about this assertion of Frankie Edgar? I don't know how much Frankie was looking to insert himself, but that's that's as close to trash talk as you're ever going to get from Edgar, whether he meant it to be or not. I mean, getting Edgar to say hello to you can be tough at times. Trust me. I, te I text Frankie. I got to text Frankie three times to get like a high I mean, right? Frankie doesn't say a whole lot. Frankie's saying something. TJ should have to fight somebody, man. That's one step away from saying he should have to fight me, which, by the way, is champion versus champion. Count me in. Khabib's cousin, guys, and uh, he was talking about he was going to fight on this card that Connor's going to fight Poirier. Cousin Nurmagomedov. Cousin Nurmagomedov is doing this interview, and he said that they moved him from this card so that their teams, meaning his team of Nurmagomedov and Connor's team, did not cross paths in the hotel because a fight would break out. Their teams have to stay apart. And I wanted to caution the cousin. I wanted to caution him to talk talking like that. Talking like that is one step away from doing that, and everybody that was involved in that was suspended. 
suspended. Artem, I believe, was released over it. I know for sure he was suspended and his fight was canceled. I believe he was even released over it. I mean, it's just a very big deal, right? You've got to be able to get professional athletes together, even combat athletes that do not behave like buffoons. They've got to be house trained and they have to be civil. And I do not blame Cousin Namagomedov for telling the truth. If that was a true story and they just wanted to keep him apart, I'm all for that. But these things are weird. The hotels are small. We don't have very many rules in this sport. We don't even have very many codes of conduct. You just handle your business in a sanctioned matter. And the moment that that sanctioning ends, your business now ends. You walk away and you live with the result. I mean, it's a pretty simple code, but it is the code. Hoist Gracie. I had the greatest talk with Hoist. It's in Hawaii two years ago with Bellator and I ended up in a van with Hoist. And I made you guys a video about this. Like as soon as I got done with Hoist, I had all these questions I'd always wanted to ask him since I, since I was a kid. And I asked him all of them in the van. I made you guys a video right away, but one of the stories Hoist told me had to do with Shootbox and Hoist's team who was Brazilian top team. Is that true? Was Hoist ever part of Brazilian top team? No, he's always been Gracie. He's never been part of top team. But the Gracie team, okay, they would go over to Japan and fight. And this is before you had the American top teams. This is before you had the team quest. And so anyway, Hoist, team Gracie, and then you got the Shootabox. And no one got along with the Shootabox team, but that wasn't because they were a bunch of, they didn't want, Shootabox did not want to get along with anyone else. They would have hotel spats. They had backstage spats. Charles Crazy Horse Bennett fights a Shootabox guy, ends up fighting Vandalay Silva. You guys know that story. I'm just sharing with you. That was backstage. So imagine being at a hotel. Like Shootabox just kind of went around in numbers. And I never saw this with my own eyes. Uh, never was I even there. And even I know the story. I mean, these guys were such legendary gangster mentality, gang mentality, that even I heard about it in Westland, Oregon. So I only bring that to you because Hoist was telling me the story. You guys might remember uh, High and Gracie. And High and I believe is Hoist's, it'd be his nephew, right? Son of Hickson. So that would, and who's Hoist's brother? should be Hoist's nephew. High is with the Gracie guys. And the shootbox guys are over here. And Hoist got to, Hoist arrived in Tokyo and rode from the airport in a van to the hotel and got to the hotel at around midnight. But he rode with Hyan. Hyan's plane had landed. Hoist's plane had landed. Meet each other at baggage claim. Got in a van. Get there around midnight. Relevant to the story. Save midnight. Part of the story. Next morning, 7 a.m., they're having breakfast. Hyan walks in, walks straight past the Gracie team and walks right over to Shootbox. And apparently that didn't really happen. You guys stay over here. We stay over here. And Hyan goes around the table saying hello to everyone. And everybody says hello and shakes his hand. Hyan gets to, to some guy who was like a heavyweight. Gets to him very last, doesn't shake his hand, drills him. Punches him right in the face. So the shootbox guys all jump up and Hoist comes over and grabs him. And Hoist says, wait, you guys sit down. We saw everything. I will handle this. We saw what happened. We will handle this. And shootbox sat down. They believed him. They took Hoist at his word. So Hoist takes him back and says, what the hell are you doing? I saw the whole thing. And Hyan says, no, no, no. He started it. He started it. And Hoist said, you walked over. He's sitting down and you punched him in the face. And Hyan goes, no, man, he talked trash. He's been talking a lot of trash. And Hoist goes, wait a second. He talked trash. We got in at midnight. It's 7 a.m. When? And Hyan goes, two or three years ago. I remember it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the comic relief of the story. That was the comic relief of the story. As Hoist was trying to get to the bottom, Hoist was going to handle his nephew. But first, he was at least going to allow him to say his piece. And his nephew informs that this guy talked trash. And Hoist said, when? Only, we, we just got here. Two or three years ago, but I remember it. So I only bring that to you. We don't want We don't want Cousin Nurmagomedov. We don't want the Connor. We don't want any. That, that's not what this is. You save it for the unified rules. Everybody watching this, all of you, have somebody you work with, whether it's in the office or on a job site, who if you could get away with it, you would fight. You have someone that, that drives you crazy. You have somebody on that job site who drives you crazy. But that's not the way it works. You just deal with it. You turn the other cheek. This is one of the few industries, in fact, this is the only industry, where you can get away. You can go do that fight. Not very many rules to this sport.
for. There's not. And there's not many codes of conduct. Code that we all live by. You're civil. You're house trained. You handle it at the sanctioned time. Guys, do we need to rethink this whole Max Holloway sitting out to fight the winner of Volkanovski Ortega? I mean, I feel like maybe we need a deep breath and maybe that was a knee-jerk reaction. There's a lot of really good 45-pounders. I realize Zombie's coming off a loss. Zombie can protect himself. Zombie can handle Max. I'm not suggesting he beats him. What I'm suggesting is Zombie, Zombie's the rough guy. Your ear is going to be back before you know it. Not enough time for this story. Zabit is eligible right now. I mean, I'm just naming for you off the top of my head some very rough guys who can protect themselves at all times. And as I say, we need to rethink this. I mean, hear me out on this. Okay, we're going to we're gonna save Max. We're going to put Max on ice, and we're going to put him against the winner of Volkanovski Ortega. Have you played that through if there's an upset and Ortega win? Ortega and Max fought for 23 minutes, of which Max won 23 minutes. Nothing against Ortega. What I'm suggesting for you, if now we've waited on Max, we've sat him out. We are not going to be able to contest Ortega Volkanovski, realize we got a surprise outcome, and then go, oh, the bet's off, and Max is now going to fight this guy, and uh, or Ortega's going to rematch Volkanovski. Just by example, just for an example, holding Max has to be a reasonable thought that you can get Max and Volkanovski together, but is that the move? Because let's say that our idea of why, I mean, let's say the genesis, the driving idea of why we're going to do this is because Max Max was wrong in his last match with Volkanovski, that the judges had it wrong, which the population thinks they did. But let's say that's our driving force. If Volkanovski beats him a third time, obviously we're not going to revisit that a fourth. Is that fair? Okay. So now you still have Max going through these same contenders that you're trying to keep him away from now. Okay. Or the other side of it, which is Max beats Volkanovski. Now they're two to one. Volkanovski did Max not only a return favor with the second, fight, he now did him an extra favor with the third fight, which means he's got the right to ask for a favor back. Do they go fight a fourth time? Maybe. But do you see where maybe we need to rethink? I mean, maybe. Maybe we need to rethink. Volkanovski is in the GOAT talk. And if he keeps racking up wins, particularly, if, I mean, just on his record alone, where I left off with Volkanovski, he was 16 and up. I might have missed, I might have lost a fight. He could be to 17 and up by now. It's something crazy, but it's and oh, oh, and I should mention the hardest possible path. He went through Mendez. He went through Aldo. He went to Max. He went to Max again. We're being told he's got to go through Ortega to draw back into Max a third. I mean, this is an incredible record, which has some parallels with Connor's record. Chad would be a great example. Aldo would be a great example. Max, come to think, Max is on both of their resumes. Is there any scenario where we get those two guys together? I mean, even down the road, is that even something that you guys would want to see? I personally would not like to see a champ champ fight unless a guy is vacating a belt. I just don't love the holding up of divisions when they're busy and competitive. I don't have that same opinion for Adesanya at 185. I like that he's moving up. I don't think we're holding up that division. I'm not seeing guys calling Adesanya out. I'm not seeing a whole lot of 85-pounders getting real busy to call Adesanya out. I'm not seeing 205-pounders starting to hedge their bet that Adesanya should win. I'm not seeing a lot of guys call Adesanya out, which means, well, maybe he is a guy that can move around a little bit. But when you do start to look at Volkanovski, some of the parallels with Connor, it's, it's 
starts to be a little bit interesting. And Max's team weighed in, by the way. Max's coach weighed in on Max's weight. He said, I can tell you this. We are not staying at 45 forever. And Max has already dipped his little pinky toe in the waters of 155. I mean, he did it in a main event for a world title against Poirier, but it was a one time. One time he pops up there, pops back down. I think he won one round out of five. But Max's coach was offering the point of, look, we were never committed to that weight and we never had time to make it. He then even compared Max to John Jones. He said, you give us a chance like John Jones is getting. We will go put on the size. We will be the right. So we aren't, we aren't worse than the 55, but we just weren't quite big enough for 55. I'm listening to his coach. I think that's fair. I think it's true. I mean, the mere fact that Max could drop right back down to 45 time and time again after the 55 pound pie shows that he never gained the weight. He never bulked up and put on the pound. And Max is youthful as he is. You guys might want to go look at how old he is. Max is very young. He's just accomplished a lot. Max was, I believe, the youngest guy in the UFC at one point. At 20 years old, I believe he was the youngest guy at that time signed in the UFC. There might have been guys that have done it younger. They weren't under contract at that time. But I remember that announcement being made when Max went out to fight uh, with Connor. that Max was the youngest guy. I only bring that to you because that is 27. He's 27 right now. If I'm wrong, he's 28. Young guy. So he is going to get bigger with time. That's true. And the immersion of Max at 155 is something that's very exciting. But I'm only offering that because if Max is going to do it, Volkanovski could well do it too. I just, if we get to that point, I'd like to see him give up the belt. I wouldn't mind seeing Volkanovski and Connor down the road. What am I seeing that at all? And one of the things that has made Volkanovski so interesting for me is that he used to be a 96 kilo rugby player. 96 kilos, to put that in conversion into pounds, 211 pounds. So weigh 211 pounds. Took that weight off, all ripped, all muscled up. So 155, sure. Sure, that's a reasonable weight for him if the right thing comes along, which is why I insert Conor McGregor. I don't think that the champion of the world needs to walk away or even wants to walk away. I'm hypothetically suggesting for you what it would take for him to walk away. And I'm doing this on the back of, by the way, this isn't me pulling this out of nowhere. Volkanovski did an interview 25 minutes ago where he talked about what it would take to fight Conor. He's just very open about it. He wasn't pulling, trying to pull any of the capers that everybody tries to pull. Volkanovski said it. He said, man, you'd be foolish to not take on Conor. There's a bunch of attention and a bunch of money. Sure, I'd take on Conor. It's just, a, but that was the real answer. That was the real truthful answer that no fighter ever wants to give. There's something refreshing about it when Volk did it. I'm adding to his story. All right, guys, we got a good recap there. We're going to have a fun week. We got some fights tonight. Check them out on ESPN. Connor Week, Connor Mania, it's real. I will see you all again on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Yeah, we talk hoops on Robert Ory's new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. I would have loved to play with LeBron because if you get down, get open, get to where you're supposed to be, he's going to find you. Feel like he got robbed for MVP. But with Robert Ory, we cover the floor and we talk about everything. And so your youngest so, is a teenager. So he's yeah. not going to high school right now. He's doing everything via Zoom and he, Dad, can you help me? Nope, I'm running away. I'm running. <laughs> From the team that brought you the big podcast with Shaq, it's the Big Shot Bob Pod. Coming your way soon on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, LiveByLive.com and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.